Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Uh, my name is Tom, and I'm a great for recovering sexaholic. And thanks to Luke and to uh, the people in Barcelona and uh, from around the world that are here today. There's some kind of background noise coming in. And... Um, yeah, uh, I'm, I came into this fellowship in the early 90s. And um, I came in, uh, uh, initially, I got sober from alcohol. Uh, I had been abusing and misusing alcohol. It was my drug of choice uh, for many years uh, to... Um, to cope with my life now, uh, I only I'm only going to mention something now that because it's part of me. I'm totally blind, and um, and I started to use alcohol and uh, in, in order to fit in. Really, um, my background uh, come from this. Uh, farming background and a boarding school background and around the age of 12 I it was necessary for me to go to a special facility for blind people uh, to uh, get some specialized education to cope with the blindness and um, yeah and <laughs> That was back in the early 60s. And uh, it was very much a boarding school of that era. It was hugely controlled by the religious people who ran it. And uh, rules, corporal punishment, and uh, suppression, I suppose, is the only word they use. Uh, of any kind of emotions or feelings uh, was the order of the day. You couldn't express much emotion or feelings. It wasn't, just wasn't safe to do it. And I, I, I know I got into the habit of suppressing everything. Uh, but unfortunately for me, uh, there was a lot of sexual activity going on in the school. Uh, announced to the authorities in the school. And um, I, I don't like to label myself or any situation uh, like saying I was sexually abused or anything like that. Uh, it, was, it certainly caused me great confusion. Uh, 
when a boy uh, touched me up. And, um, yeah, it, um, it caused confusion and it sowed a lot of seeds of guilt and shame and fear. And uh, hiding the guilt and the shame and the fear with masturbation and more masturbation and guilt. I was brought up in a religious uh, tradition that had regular confession attached to it. And I uh, was in great confusion between the uh, directions of that upbringing and what I was actually doing with myself and with other boys. And, uh, yeah, it was very, and I, I was there till I was 17 and a half. And uh, then I found work in a factory uh, a long way away from Dublin, over in the uh, Midwest part of Ireland. And uh, this is a huge factory, uh, over 400 people working there, men and women. And, um, and it was like a baptism of fire, I suppose, in many ways for me, leaving where I was, every decision was taken for me 24-7, trying to get up, trying to go to bed, trying to eat, uh, everything. I hadn't, <clears throat> the Tony in recovery that I discovered that I hadn't taken any decisions at all around my life. I hadn't bought any clothes for myself and a whole lot of things like that because it was all centrally controlled. And uh, even my mobility skills, because we used to, we were only allowed to leave the school on Sundays. And uh, so I was never out at nighttime in the city or in a town. And uh, and the first thing I wanted to do when I left that boarding school was to drink and smoke, uh, and I, which I did immediately. And uh, I was still acting out sexually with myself, and uh, all the time, all the time, and. Um, I was socializing, but mainly with alcohol. I was, I know now from my journey that I was terribly immature. Perhaps still am in some ways in my life. The only difference being I recognize my immaturities now. Um, but in those days, I, I didn't. I wanted to be like everybody else. I was, uh, but immediately I, I was reactive to authority. 
very reactive to authority. And again, from my recovery, tells me that being controlled in the sitting for so long, when I got a taste of being able to speak my mind, I certainly did. And caused a lot of uh, trouble through the, I was, I was immediately attracted to being active in a union. And I found that the union gave me a voice, an angry, a very angry voice. Uh, and uh, and through that, uh, you know, uh, through the steps over the years, I've, ha- I've had to look at all that behavior, uh, compulsive. Uh, I was, a, re- I was a, re- a rebel looking for causes and, and re- you know, really escaping from myself really escaped from it. And I didn't know any of that. And, you know, inevitably, of course, I was still, I wanted desperately to meet a girl. I really did. Because I fantasized for so long uh, on my own. And I did meet a girl. And I was totally overwhelmed by the experience because I was so frightened and scared. The girl was kind, very kind and considerate of me, but I kind of dissolved. I couldn't perform in any way. And I was only able to sustain the relationship for maybe a month or so. And other circumstances determined because she was a student and we were she was going she was going to her own part of Ireland and it had such a profound effect on me that experience that I didn't try to engage with a, a girl or a woman uh, for seven or eight years I went completely into fantasy and, uh, and yeah, on a couple of occasions, uh, had acting out with boys that were uh, in, in the flat with me, who are also in the education facility with me. And, uh, but that didn't, that didn't stay with me, that particular behaviours. Uh, I was now locked into unreality, into fantasy, in this area of intimacy. I could not. Uh, and I, I do believe today that I was uh, trapped at around the age of 12 when I started the acting out. And I stayed in that adolescent stage right through the years, keeping going with alcohol and smoking and fantasy and masturbation and uh, activism as well. I had, I do have this, a lot of skills which I used to promote causes within blind welfare. And I did a lot of good work there. And, uh, and I heard this morning, it's just pure coincidence, pure coincidence that one of the first women, woman that I tried to be intimate with, again, in my late 20s, 
She passed away this morning. Her name was Frances. I heard it from her friend. And, uh, and that relationship and friendship, we had common interests in, in work that we were both doing for the same charity. And uh, lasted a couple of years and I introduced her to my family. And, and that, but uh, again, I didn't have the emotional capacity to be intimate and responsible. And I was still drinking and smoking and, and trapped. But I, th- I don't know. I often feel that the higher part, uh, because she was willing to stay in the relationship, but I, I felt it, that I wasn't able to stay in that relationship. So we broke up. And that started in a whole area of my life in which I am, um, in which I, I was just going from one woman to another, acting out. I had overcome my fears to some extent, but I didn't overcome the capacity to be in a, an intimate relationship. I, was, I just wasn't capable of that. But I was able to meet up with them and uh, act out with them. And I, I, did, I did a lot of harm. And, well, only the higher power really knows the degree of harm that I did. But I, I certainly acquired a whole load of guilt and shame because all I was doing was using them for my own gratification. And so I wasn't at the, the capacity for anything more. And when Luke asked me, you know what, what I would uh, like to share on, I told him that phrase in the AA big book. When I came in to the AA, that phrase caught my attention right away. It really did. People would, because I could recognize that I had emotional difficulties and mental disorders, because I did go in to depression in my 30s. Because of what I was doing to my body, I was drinking, smoking, acting out ferociously with myself and with anyone else. And so my mental health was breaking down, my emotional health. And so I heard that phrase. And immediately, without ever meeting this exotic, I said, I wonder, could this work? in this this area of my, because I knew I was destroying myself. I really did know that. And I was trying to work with therapists and counselors and religious people. I did all kinds of things. Uh, I did want to get well, but but the phrase, the capacity to be honest, I said, I can work on that can work on that. And the higher power again came into my life in a very special way. Uh, and um, my wife was an Al-Anon. 
because I'd stopped drinking. And she had met a man in Alana who was uh, uh, a very strong member in that program. But she picked up from him that she said she said to me after one evening, she said, I met a man in Alana, and he's a very unusual man, she says. Uh, but she was teaching a very special method of swimming for people with disabilities. It's, it's a, an interest she has. She's, her own background is nursing. And uh, but she was running this, this uh, club for people, and she was always looking for volunteers. And this man offered to be a volunteer. And he came to the door one evening in the around 93 or 4, knocked at the door, and he was looking for Mary for the swimming. And for some amazing reason, he went in, he sat at my kitchen table, and he started talking about the Augustan Fellowship. Now, I know very, very little about the Augustan, St. Augustine, but I did know one phrase that's, <clears throat> that he had awful trouble with sex. And uh, he started to share his experience with the Augustan Fellowship. And uh, I think um, Augustine used to uh, use the phrase, Lord, make me pure, but not yet, as the phrase. And uh, that was the phrase that came to mind then. His, this man's name was Tom as well. And uh, so he started telling me that he seemed to pick up that I had difficulty in this area. It's a mystery to me. And, but he, uh, he said there was meetings for this Augustine Fellowship. SLA is the, is the other name for it, that they were calling it the Augustine Fellowship. There was three or four men going to it, and uh, two of us are two other men still going and still uh, sober. In essay, a priest from America came one day to Galway, and he was looking for a he was looking for a, a, a sex recovery group, and he, somebody told him about our group. And he came in to our meeting and he shared. And uh, he, he challenged the group. I wasn't ready to hear his challenge at the time. But he, they were saying they were sober, but they were still acting out. They had bottom lines. He said, you can't, you can't be sober if, you're, if your bottom line is this or your bottom line is that. He said, you're either sober or you're not. No, I, I, I wasn't ready to hear that at that time. But he started to um, he, he started to work with two of the lads in the group who were three of them who were ready to hear what he had to say. And I got interested because he was basing all his sharing on the AA Big Book, and he was using that. It was this prior to and he was having the white book uh, in Ireland. They were available in other countries, but not in Ireland in the early 90s. And, uh, and you know, I was, I was in fear. You know, fear is 
pretty huge because one of the things that was suggested is that you would write out your first step. And I had things to put in my first step that I knew that I needed to share, but I was terrified to share because the behaviors had taken me to very low places, really very low places. And uh, so I was fearful and angry that why were they asking me to do this? Because I wasn't ready to do this. But so, but after a couple of months, I calmed down inside. And I, I, I learned I could trust the, the friends that I had. And we let go SLA and we formed an SA group. And I've been part of that SA group since those times. Now, I stopped the acting out with myself and with anybody else. I think I might have, around that time, I can certainly can remember a kind of a wobble in my recovery, which isn't coming back to me clearly, but I think there, I was in no man's land for a little while. And, uh, but, but after a couple of years, I reset my sobriety debt uh, because the big thing came is my acting in. The fantasies inside, even though I wasn't acting out with myself or with anybody else, I knew that I wasn't clean at all in the inside. And that's my top plate today. I still have to share my top plate to keep, to keep bringing it in. And I can get great resistance to, um, to bringing what's going on in that top plate into the light. This thing does not let me go easy at all. Uh, but having said and have been around the fellowship for so long, uh, I did, you know, I have experienced emotional growth. I've been able to sustain a friendship, a relationship, and intimacy with my wife uh, uh, for the last, we're just 30 years married now. And uh, mm -hmm. five minutes, is it? No? Is it five, five minutes? This, yes. Uh, so, uh, um, uh, so I've been able to sustain that relationship. And my previous history wasn't able to sustain a relationship for any period of time at all because I'd act out. Once the acting out would be finished with somebody, then I'd lose interest in them. The higher power, uh, who I called God, uh, has held me and us together through the years and through the wonders of the steps, which I do my, I never say I work the steps. I all say I try to work them. And then full, I, got, I could get delusional about my recovery, but I keep trying. And as long as I keep trying and stay sober and keep, keep in touch with other recovering Sexaholics, I'll have a capacity to stay honest. I'll have that capacity, and uh, you know, honesty is the, is the core of my recovery. To open up and share the bits and pieces that I don't want to bring into the light. Them are the ones that I have to bring in. I want to thank Luke again for inviting me to share uh, to this. Big beaten.
And uh, I leave it at that. And thank you all very much. Thank you, Luke. Uh, thank you, for, Tom, for your sharing. Um, I wanted to ask one thing. In the very beginning, you said that I don't want to label child abuse as child abuse. And you said that that incident doesn't accounts to be child abuse. It was some confusion. Uh, obviously, child abuse can have a spectrum, but awareness, getting the awareness of your uh, certain body parts before time can account to a lot of things in the long run. So uh, do you think not calling it sexual abuse accounts for some form of uh, denial still? Or is there a higher reason why do you, why you don't call it, uh, accept it as a child abuse? Thank you. Yes, uh, good, very good question because it's one I have uh, reflected on a lot. One of the reasons I don't uh, label it is that I, uh, I, I could easily become a victim and think like a victim and act like a victim. And I have to watch out for victim thinking because uh, I do believe that if I was to get caught in that victim mentality, that I'd stay stuck. Now, this is just my own personal attitude towards my own recovery. Thank you very much, Tom. Yeah. Martin, Thank you. Please go ahead. And other people, please raise your virtual hand if you want to share. You can find it downstairs in, uh, on the bottom of your screen to the right in the tab Reactions. So, Martina, please go ahead. Yeah, thank you very much for your sharing, Tom. You were sharing on um, not acting out, but acting in, like falling into fantasies or sexual fantasies. And I was just um, want to ask, ask you, how do you surrender your fantasies or how do you get rid of your fantasies? Thank you. Yeah, thank you. No, the, the best way for me to deal with them is to share them with my sponsor or with a trusted member who knows my a lot of my story, bring them into the bring them into the light. The things I don't want to bring into the light are the things I need to bring into the light. And I don't I don't always I don't always want to do it, I can assure you. Sometimes they might have torment me for a couple of hours or a couple of days. And then I say I have enough of this. I must bring into the light if I find to get freedom. Thank you. Leon, please go ahead. Yeah, thank you, Luke. Uh, thanks for uh, hosting tonight. Uh, Tom, uh, this is Liam, uh, sexaholic from Ireland, um, sober since 16th of July of this year. Um, I, I was interested in hearing, I thought, thank you so much for the share. It was a uh, very brave share and uh, a very, very honest share. Uh, but I was interested in your your um, relationship with your wife. I, I'm married 28 years. I'm only recently come to terms with my addiction. And uh, it's very early days for my wife. Everything's very raw. Um, but I'm wondering how your wife coped with uh, your uh, acceptance of your sex addiction and, and how that panned out for you. So that's my question. Yeah, um 
Well, you'll you'll have realized from my early sharing, I had a huge problem with intimacy and fear. And we talked about that from the very beginning of our relationship. And uh, our intimacies in the early stages were very uh, physical. But as we journeyed through our life together, uh, other ways, not, and, and Roy refers to this as well in his writings, other ways of expressing intimacy developed between us. And that was terribly, terribly important. You know, a hug, a touch on the arm, uh, time together. We, we haven't, and I don't even know, uh, having a concept, we haven't anything like what you would call a perfect marriage. We have not. And we have our ups and downs from time to time. But, that, you know, we, with the higher powers help. We stay together. We support each other in every way possible. And we have now a good relationship. Discovering for us now, and again it's for us, that there's a lot more to intimacy than sex it has been marvelous for me. Marvelous. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Hi. I put up my hand also. Uh, Tom, thank you for your share. There were a lot of things that touched me, but one of the things, and I, I'm not... I'm not repeating it correctly now, but you said something like, I was a, a rebel looking for causes. Yes. Now, I've been very rebellious also since early teenagerhood, and it has caused me a lot of uh, problems in my life, and I still have that attitude in me, and I have to, to surrender it often. Um, how are you dealing with that? Uh, is, has that been taken away from you? Or when it still crops up, it's ugly hat, what, what do you do with it? <laughs> I think at 71, the energy to do it isn't there. <laughs> um, I joke. Um, no, I, um, look. One, you know, trying being in the fellowship and in recovery, learning respect, true respect for other people and their views. When I was out there active in addiction, there was only one view, and that was mine. And that led me, you know, I can see now looking back that uh, I was at controlling behaviors and all kinds of character and personality traits that, that were controlling me. And in my, in my recovery, I've learned to respect others. Uh, I, do I fall down? I certainly do. I, I, don't, I don't get as caught in, in speaking inappropriately. But I certainly would be aware at times of, you know, judgments I'm making inwardly and taking each, taking other people's inventory. I'm not cured by any means. 
But I've learned that the big thing is to be able to hear. And I'll tell you what has helped me enormously in this area is the 12 traditions. By, by hearing over the years the 12 traditions of recovery, I can apply aspects of them because they're as spiritual as the steps. By, by bringing their principles and being in group conscience meetings and listening to others with respect, I think that probably would have created the biggest change. Thanks. Thank you, Tom. Uh, Juan Carlos. Thank you, Luke, for, for this opportunity. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Tom. My name is Juan Carlos, calling from Spain. Uh, I have been uh, listening very carefully uh, while you were speaking. Um, sometimes with my eye closed, because I wanted to sympathize with you, will you share? Um, yeah, I relate with some of your issues, uh, having uh, sex with boys at my school, um, feeling uh, weird, uh, shameful, guilty of being doing such things. And also because I was the victim, uh, it was kind of revenge. I could do it because uh, I had been affected by others, so I could do it uh, into others. And uh, also about the last part of your share about uh, your top plates, uh, honesty. Uh, for me, it's very difficult to to be honest. Not only because uh, I I have been lying and cheating, um, pretending to be different all my life. I am. Yes, but because. Uh, you know, uh, I change reality very easily. Uh, when someone uh, speaks to me and says something, I can change this uh, reality into my fiction, into my own reality. So I, I change, uh, I tergiverse uh, my, my thinking. And I, if, if I need to repeat it, for me, it's very difficult. Uh, I, I know that this is a mental disease. It's my familia, but uh, I don't know how to, to be honest sometimes. Not because I don't want, but because I cannot. So what do you experience about honesty in your recovery? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the only answer that, that I can reply to, to that question would be time and the will and willingness to be honest and talking to God of your understanding or a higher power of your understanding and asking for the willingness to be open and honest with yourself and then with others. Uh, it's an inside, it's an inside experience uh, more than an external thing. And in the beginning, and I, I don't do it as much now, but I get honest on by writing. What am I? I do a powerless list, the first step. I'm powerless over John and powerless over his behavior. I'm powerless over the fantasies that are coming up in my mind around Joan. And I'd get them down on a piece of paper like that. And then I'd ring a sober member. And I'd say, can I share a powerlessness with you? And, and then, I, then I'd read out what I had written. Because once I put it on paper... Uh, metaphorically speaking, I use Braille, but uh, I put it on Braille paper. And then, now I haven't been doing it as much in recent times, 
perhaps it's something I should go back to again. The other thing that would help you help me would be a fear list. I discovered a long time ago that fear really, and it's page 68 in the big book, fear is the the under the underlying energy that that was controlling me. And to write out a fear list, allow myself to feel my fears, to feel my fears. What am I afraid of? And and I wouldn't because I not I wouldn't be very big into journaling writing, but a fear list. I just try to name what I'm afraid of in the day, and if I do that with a writing. I'd always try and do a few gratitudes as well. Grateful for SA, grateful for my sponsor, grateful for fellowship. You know, it's just a couple of things. Grateful for the fine day. Grateful to be able to walk and grateful to be able to talk. The, <laughs> the gratitude list. Uh, and then we learned that from, off each other in our group over the years. Thank you very much, Claudia Scheidt. Thank you. No problem. Claudia? And members with less than 30 days can also raise their hand now. Please go ahead, Claudia. Thank you, Luke. Thank you, Tom. I was really happy to hear you. It was a great, great honor. I felt really very touched and I... I believe you every word <laughs> and it was like you talk about me. It was really very interesting what you shared about your, how you're dealing with you, this um, stuff, abuse or whatever. I really could, I, I found it really great how you are dealing with this and um yeah and and what really was very interesting for me was that you said um you acted out to cover your guilt and your confusion and your shame and this really talked a lot to me because I was not aware of this that this was also one issue I had, not only one, not only the only one, but this is was very important for me to hear. And I want to ask you, you said you were acting also out without with alcohol. Me too. I'm an, an, an sober alcoholic. And are you still are you also joining AA or and do you are you in this program too in AA? Yes, um, Claudia, I'm in AA, I'm in SA, I I'm codependent. Yeah. I'm I'm an adult child. Yeah. So and what these 12 steps I apply to different aspects of my emotional life. And yeah. uh, uh, so, you know, I, and not nearly all my friends are in different recovery groups. Yeah. 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 So I, 
I love AA. AA, I I describe AA as being like a big tree that many branches have grown out of it. yeah, in the form of other in the, in the form of other groups, yeah. but I all, but I also I always go back to the the, the main part of the tree, yeah. in order to stabilize myself, yeah, and uh, and and with gratitude. Yeah, thank you so much, Tom. It's really an honor to get to know you. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, you. Claudia, and you too. Thank you. Hi, Tom. Uh, I uh, really uh, appreciate the honesty and intensity of what you said. Uh, The question that has been discussed about child abuse is something that I have wrestled with myself. Uh, I settled on the term childhood trauma because that did not make me feel as much a victim. Uh, I found that there were some things that happened that were unintended but were traumatic, but I also found uh, that I was clearly psychiatrically ill as a child and I experienced things that didn't happen. So. Do you have any thoughts or experience on having been psychiatrically uh, impaired, impaired for that uh, experience of childhood? That's what that's what my mind was. Uh, was the phone going off there? Or the alarm. I, yeah, that's my. I can hear you. I'm trying to cancel it. I had time to myself, uh, so I will now. I got to it. That's all. <laughs> yes. Um, well, as I mentioned in my sharing, I went into mental, <clears throat> mental uh, uh, anxiety and uh, depression in my thirties. Yeah, I, I sometimes find it necessary to look at look at my delusions mm-hmm. uh, my delusion delu- de- thinking delusion delusions can easily take me over if i don't stay real and connected and honest uh, that's why i i share on the theme of honesty because it helps me with keep away from self delusion because my fantasies were not real. What I was mm-hmm. doing with what I was doing with my imagination and with my inner landscape was delusionary. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so, you know, the the the, the, and the opposite to delusion is reality, and to check. So I was able to catch that in sobriety that, and acknowledge. And I, even in AA meetings, I'd be able to say, you know, without I talk about being delusionary at times uh, uh, in, in part of my growing up. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. 
can't hear you. Look, you're muted. Thank you so much. Anyone else who wants to raise a question, please uh, raise your virtual hand or raise your hands on the screen and I can um, I can uh, confirm you. Okay, while you are thinking of a question, I, I still have another question, Tom. Um, recently, somebody asked me, why, why would I go to any other fellowship? I mean, I've done the first step. I've surrendered my will and my life to my higher power. If I really did a good first step and I really surrendered my life and my will, I don't have to go to any other fellowship or work on any other problem, even though I have other problems. What would you say to that? Um, I believe that I need uh, places that are appropriate for me to share. So if I if I'm in if I'm in AA. I wouldn't feel it appropriate to share on my sex, my sex addiction, or my sex obsessions. Likewise, by being in a coda meeting, I get identification uh, with the people who share on codependency, and it, and I enjoy the fellowship of fellow travelers on the steps. They're all on the steps. But I enjoy, I enjoy, you know, I appreciate so deeply the spiritual journey that other people have. And that, uh, you know, if, if, if that were to stop, or, or well, uh, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. Uh, and I don't do it either compulsively. It's, it, it's something, uh, you know, my family life and my wife's life, that, that takes priority. And uh, uh, I keep in touch with SA and AA. But other groups, just I, I love the identification because it helps me to name pain that will be going on inside me. The pain will be going on until I hear somebody else naming it. I mightn't be able to name it. Does that answer the question? That's my that's my reasoning anyway, Luke. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that, Tom. Yeah. Mm. David Kay. And you might be the last one, maybe one after that, we'll see. So David, go ahead. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Luke. And thanks, Tom, for your share. It was so great to hear you. Um yeah, I wanted to ask if I can remember what the question was. Um Uh, yeah, you talk. I've heard you say it a couple of times, but you say you talk about, um, you know, like a, about not being ready to hear certain things. Like you said in your in your share there that <clears throat> that some person says something to you and that you weren't yet ready to hear what they said mm. or to accept what they said. Um, that's a question. Okay, well, you know the. The word denial is most of us have experienced. 
denial is the enemy of recovery. And uh, but it, I, I couldn't get rid of denial simply by not wanting to be in denial. I had to hear the experience, strength, and hope of other people who worked through their denial to help me to work through mine. Does that make yeah. sense to you? It does, yeah. But, I mean, I heard you say, and then I, because I was thinking about myself, like, you know, is there, th- is there certain things that people would say to me now in my early stages of recovery that I'm not yet ready to hear or not, not yet ready to accept, you know? Well, the only one that really, David, can, you know, can know that is you. And the, the only suggestion that I can make is going to a lot of meetings uh, helps an awful lot in the early sobriety. And, and Roy speaks about that as well. He went to an awful lot of meetings in his early recovery, and he learned there how to how to hear, how to listen. I had to learn really how to listen, because all my all my life, I wanted people to listen to me. Mm. Yeah, and, and and I had all the great answers to the world's problems, and I wanted to say them to everybody that had listened to me. But by going to meetings, I. There used to be an old AA man, he's now dead, and uh, he used to say, learn to listen and listen to learn. And in my early recovery, that was like a a mouse running around in my brain. What does he mean by that? Learn to listen and listen to learn. And eventually I got my head around it. I know what it means to me today. That's (laughs) That's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tom. Thanks. Well, well, with this, with that, we'll start to wrapping up part. Thank you very much again, Tom. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Mm -hmm.